Welcome to the Her Life Her Way podcast hosted by me, Maddie. Here at the Her Life Her Way podcast, we facilitate honest and vulnerable conversations with women from across the globe that shine a light on how we can craft a life that feels meaningful and joyful to us all. Through these conversations, you can expect to feel empowered in your journey to live, relate, and work in a way that feels nourishing for your mind, your body, and your soul. We will never shame you into thinking you aren't enough or that you are not doing enough. Alternatively, our conversations highlight the patriarchal system working against all women and will provide you with the tools, wisdom, and support you need to live a fulfilling life in spite of a system that is designed to strip women of their autonomy, joy, and wholeness. This is your life. You get to live it your way. So welcome again to the Her Life, Her Way podcast. I am so grateful that you are here, and let's tune in to the episode. Today on the show, we have a very exciting guest. We have Ashley Nassar Weeks. Ashley Nassar Weeks is the owner of Nassar Creative, a web development company that specializes in helping creative women get their businesses found online. Ashley is also a client of ours here at Her, and we are so excited to have her on the show. So welcome, Ashley. Thank you for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Well, to start off our show today, I would love for you to take a moment to Share a little bit about your background and what got you to where you are today with your business. So if you want to talk a little bit about your story leading up to your web design business, that would be amazing. Absolutely. So I always joke that I've been a computer nerd my whole life and that (laughs) I was really fortunate that I was like a social person or life might have been a little bit harder. Um, But yeah, I, I got in. So I started programming and kind of teaching myself how to code um, when I was in middle school, went um, you know, through high school, took some computer classes, decided my original plan actually in life was to be a lawyer. <laughs> we drastically <laughs> changed. Um, and then when I went to college, I graduated high school in 2008. It was like the prime of when people were having a really hard time finding a job. So a lot of people were doing um, secondary education and law school kind of seemed like the one that everyone was doing. So I was like, you know what, let's change paths here. Um, and I, I went to school um, and had a great computer science program. And so I decided to just go for computer science. Um, I also double majored in political science because, again, I have this obsession with law and politics and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I feel like I had kind of a – I don't know. I never really – thought that I would own my own business. Like it was never a plan of mine. Um, I graduated college, went into the corporate world, did that for a bit. Um, I did application support. I was a database um, analysis. So I did a lot of the like techie side. Um, And then probably about a year before I started my business, I started having this, just this notion that like corporate was not for me. I didn't love, um, I didn't love the structure of it. I didn't love there was a lot of things I didn't love about it. Um, and kind of just this overall idea of that I was really working to make some other corporation, you know, rich and things like that. Um, and so it kind of was the perfect storm. Um, I ended up losing my job and it had one of those moments where I was like, okay, we can either go find another job. No problem. It's easy. I'm a female in computer science. Like, 
it, it's not hard to find a job in my industry. Um, yeah. Or I can like finally do this thing that I've really wanted to do for a while. Um, so it's like websites that have kind of always been in my back pocket. Um, but it was more of like a, it was more of a passion and a hobby than something I'd ever really thought about turning into a career. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this six months. We'll see how we do in six months. And here we are seven years later. So wow. our business changed a little bit. Um, you know, what started is just websites. We did some more marketing and things like that. And we've kind of come back to just the original websites, SEO, helping people with that aspect of it. Um, in this day and age, I find that a lot of businesses have a little bit more of a grasp on their marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, than they did, you know, a couple years ago. And so it doesn't feel like something that that's not something that really that lights me up. And so we kind of got this point. I was like, let's go back to just what we were doing. I love websites. Um, I love helping people. You know, a lot of times when we meet clients and stuff, they're like, oh my God, a website just seems like so crazy. It seems so hard to do. I've tried it. Da, 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 da. Um, and so I really found joy in what I like to say, translating the tech to the business. So I speak both. Um, and a lot of times a business owner will say, you know, I want all these things. And then someone just throws tech at them and they're kind of overwhelmed. They're like, okay, I must need that because I don't know what you're talking about. So clearly I need help there. Um, and so I've really found passion in translating that and making it seem obtainable and not so hard um, and not like this foreign thing to people. And it's it's just been really enjoyable. So that's kind of where we got to where we are now. Amazing. And it's so cool to hear that you've been in business for seven years. A lot of businesses don't make it that past that three-year mark, right? So yeah. once you get over the three-year hump, like every single year is a celebration. It is. And so I'd be curious to hear some of the things that you've learned in seven years of business because you've had more experience in owning your own business than a lot of um <laughs> other folks I've talked yeah, to. Absolutely. Well, and it's definitely been interesting with having COVID during all of that. So I think mm -hmm. what, 2020, it's 2023 now. So I was hitting that three, four year mark right around when COVID picked up. Um, and of course, marketing was one of the first areas that people really cut back on, um, you know, when they're trying to kind of trim the budget and make sure that they can make it a year, yeah. two years, whatever it is, those kind of be kind of tend to be some of the areas that that get cut first, um, which is natural. So, you know, I I do not think I knew I had no idea what I was doing when I got started with my business. Um, I knew how to do the product and how to do the service, uh, but I truly had absolutely no idea about running a business. <laughs> um, and I think that that's where I've probably learned my most. Um, Sure, technology has changed, platforms have changed, things like that. That's easy, you know, to adjust to and to learn, you know, a new platform or to find a better product for our clients. Um, but really running the business side, I think, is where I've probably learned the, mer the, the, most, the most. Um, and really about myself, too, as well. I mean, it's, you know, I consider myself to be a pretty confident, outgoing person. I think running a business will really make you question you know, some of your biggest insecurities sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. and, and really, I, I'm kind of one of those, I'm like, if you've not had imposter syndrome at some point in your business, like <laughs> you might be crazy or you're just doing something wrong because I just think it's natural for everyone to stop and be like, am I doing this? Like, can I do this? Should I be yeah. doing this? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I feel like I've learned a lot both on the 
mental side of it and then just actually running a business, doing taxes. Like I'm not like I t- joke all the time. Like, I am not a money person. That's my that's my husband. <laughs> I can spend it all day, Um, but like budgeting and things like that, um, hiring, I mean, it was all very foreign to me. And I had done pieces of those things throughout, uh, you know, different experiences of being in student orgs and stuff like that. But I mean, never like managing my own budget for a business that, you know, it's not just like, well, we pay our bills next month. It's how do we make sure that we pay our bills long-term and then can grow as well. Um, So you know, learning those things, I think has probably been where I've made my most growth. Um, and then again, just the, the, the mental side of it of, you know, there's always going to be those days where you're like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and you're just going to go take a nap and have a good meal and like try again tomorrow. But um, I think, I think a lot of those people, I think a lot of people that don't get past those three years, that's really where they hit that wall of just, you know, one or two things goes wrong. And, and I kind of feel fortunate. I had some of my like worst cases happen at the very beginning. when I first started freelancing and kind of started going into my business. Um, so I feel like I learned really quickly about contracts and, um, clear mm-hmm. expectations and things like that, where I kind of got burned, um, in some areas where that those weren't set up correctly. Um, and I think some people, it, they don't, it, that doesn't happen to them at first, which is great. You don't want anyone to be like screwed over in their business, but you you sometimes don't know what you know until like shit hits the fan. You're like, Oh, we should have something in place for that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I feel like that's where I've, I've probably made the most growth and learned the most is just the general running of a business and managing people and things like that. Yeah. It's interesting. I just put out a newsletter today and I was talking about a few different things in the newsletter, but one of the things I said was like, businesses, you learn the most. It's when it's just like trial by fire, you have to just like throw yourself in and you're going to do it wrong. Everyone's going to, whatever wrong means, you know, you're going to have these mistakes. You're going to like struggle. And that's where you really find your growth edge. Right. So like when I was in the first year of my business, I said yes to absolutely everything as one does. Right. That's like really important in the growth stage of your business because you need to learn what kind of clients you want to work with, what kind of services you do want to offer. But through that trial by fire, I was able to feel out my growth edge because I was like, oh, I am now extremely burnt out. I've gone too far. (laughs) I've gone too far over the edge. And then you kind of walk it back. And so same thing with you kind of getting burned in the beginning, right? Um, You learn those mistakes very quickly. You found that growth edge. You found the gaps that needed to be fixed in your business and you were able to adapt accordingly. And so I always say for entrepreneurs, especially people who are just starting their businesses to just like be open to all the crazy things that are going to happen in the first couple of years. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad entrepreneur. It just means that business is unfolding as it does in the first couple of years. And you just get the chance to grow and learn and adapt. Um, And then you find more sustainability and comfort and ease. I find like two and a half years plus, you know, those first two and a half years, you're really just trying to figure it all out. Yeah. And to try all kinds of different things. I mean, you know, there's always new fads yeah. and trends in, in industries. You know, um, I remember when podcasts first started getting big, I was like, I'm going to do a podcast. <laughs> why not? Yeah. Like, why not? You know, and, and then you do it and it was fun, but then it kind of got to this point where I was like, okay, just like you were saying, 
Like I was feeling really burnt out and it wasn't, it didn't really do anything for my business. And so, yes, I loved talking to people, um, but I can do that in other ways where it doesn't feel like it's a burden on my business or that I'm not, you know, I'm not somehow like meeting this level or I'm not, you know, getting the episodes out on time. I mean, it was all this kind of things. It was like, okay, maybe we don't do that anymore. Like, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I, you know, don't say yes to everything. And when you get those crazy ideas, like go with them because it could work. It could be great for you um, or it couldn't. And then you know that, and you know, to just kind of ignore that information and those trends and those things and focus on the things that do feel really good or, and don't, you know, I don't, everyone gets burned out with business. I mean, it's, it's very easy to work all the time when you, especially when you work for yourself, it's hard to make that disconnect. Um, but when you start to feel yourself like burned out and just like miserable with things, it's like, okay, maybe we, maybe we just, we cut that and go on. Like, it's okay. <laughs> exactly. This thing. <laughs> exactly. Like I am such a multi-passionate person and up until just a couple of years ago when I really learned about human design and I was able to feel mm-hmm. empowered in my multi-passionateness because I'm a, a manifesting generator and we're okay. supposed to be multi-passionate. Um, but that was always something that I felt really ashamed of because I didn't stick with things for very long. You know, like I would feel really excited about something, do it for a period of time and move on. And I always thought that that was just me being flaky. But what I've now learned now that I'm like, older and can have more perspective (laughs) is like I am really moved by passion but what I take from all of those different experiences still carries through to the next thing that I do and that's with like anything so even in your own business let's say you tried the podcast right you're still pulling information from that experience and applying it to your business now even though you're not podcasting anymore so I think that entrepreneurs and I've experienced this I'm not sure if you have like can feel a lot of guilt about putting this new thing out there, whether it be a new offer or a podcast or a freebie or whatever. And then finding that it's not feeling aligned anymore in this new season of life and this new season of business and like getting all down on themselves because they have to pull it off the shelf. (laughs) But I encourage anyone listening who may feel that way to really reframe that and say like, okay, I am doing the thing that's best for my well-being and my business's growth right now. And even though I'm not offering this thing anymore, even though I'm not doing this thing anymore, I can still pull the pieces of growth from that and apply it to everything I'm doing going forward. Absolutely. I think of it as like trying out sports or like clubs and stuff when you were younger, you know, like you didn't know, I didn't know that I hated playing soccer until I did it. (laughs) It seemed so cool (laughs) that my friends were doing it. And then the thought of having to run around and get dirty, I was like, I'm good. Thank you. (laughs) But I didn't know until I tried that. Um, I was like a competitive cheerleader for 15 years. I hated cheerleading when I first started it. Um, Like hated it. I was like, I am never doing this again. Like this sucks. Um, (laughs) And then I went on to do it for 15 years and cheer into college and everything. So it is, yeah, you don't, you don't know how something's going to go until you try it. And I feel that, you know, we, as entrepreneurs, it's so easy to get down on yourself instead of like you're saying, just reframing it and thinking of like, you know what? I tried it. I know now. And it's good. Like we're fine. It's not, it's not a, your self-worth and who you are is not tied to your business. It's not tied to your sales. It's not tied to the things you do. Um, and that can be a hard thing for us to like tell ourselves sometimes. And yeah, it's not, there's no failure in it. It's just, you did something you don't like it. We're moving on, like have a good day. 
Yeah. And also too, I think sometimes like, you know, we're all the main characters in our own lives. And so we think that like, we're pulling this freebie off, right? Oh my gosh, everyone's going to notice. No one notices. More likely than not, no one's going to notice yeah. nor care. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so like, exactly. you are just, I mean, some people can do this as disempowering. I view it as empowering. Like, you are just an extra in everyone else's movie. You're yeah. the main character in your own, but you're just an extra in everyone else's. And so, Absolutely. like, I, I, anything that you do or don't do probably isn't as big of a deal as you think it is. And I love that you brought up, like, yeah, I tried soccer when I was little and didn't love it because there's so much play and curiosity and trial when we're kids. And we don't have that sense of, especially when we're little kids, like, you know, six, seven, we're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do soccer anymore. We're like, eh, soccer, nah, my friend Tom wants to do the play. I want to do the play with Tom. Like there's no judgment. There's no guilt. And so I think part of it- I'm a failure because I didn't like soccer. (laughs) (laughs) I think we- Part of it is coming back to that childlike sense of curiosity mm-hmm. and play, right? And like, how can we incorporate those into the way that we approach business now? Because I don't know, like, I feel like business can get so stuffy and like serious and it doesn't have to be, right? I think so much of that is because it's tied to money, you know? I mean, yeah, and, and that's the hard part of it is, you know, it's easy to say that, but then at the end of the day, and, and kind of what I, the way I've always told myself is, we can always go get another job. There are always going to be jobs out there. There's always going to be someone needing something, whether it's a job in my industry or just a job to make a paycheck. So I had to really disassociate myself from the money side of it. Um, I feel like it, and even it kind of came back this year where people were like posting, you know, the sales they made that year. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, for me, I remember being like that you have to really think about you have to just focus on yourself because, you know, for us, like I got pregnant last year, we had the journey of getting pregnant, um, Mm -hmm. the journey of dealing with first trimester and all that. And so my year last year wasn't like a normal business year that I've had. And so it's okay if maybe, you know, and we still ended up somehow doing, you know, more sales, but you don't always feel that way. And when you're looking at someone else's numbers, you're like, oh God, well, why didn't I do that? And it's, it's so hard to stop and realize that like, that's okay. Like you don't always have to be, uh, there are seasons and phases of life. And the beautiful thing of owning your own business is that you get to merge those two. And, you know, we were getting married and we planned a wedding out of the country. It was, it was easy for me to continue doing my business. I mean, I couldn't have imagined working a corporate nine to five job where I couldn't just hop on a call with our wedding planner in Portugal, you know, I mean, stuff like that. And it's so easy to not look at those very small, like minuscule day-to-day things is like, oh my God, this is such a benefit and such a plus to what I do. It's so, it's so much easier to kind of focus on where you're not succeeding and not doing well. But when you kind of look back over the whole grand scheme of things, it's like, wow, like we ran, I've run a business. I've run a business through COVID. I run a business while trying to get pregnant. I've run a business while being pregnant. And in a couple of months, I'm going to run a business while having a child. I'm like, that's something that I never really ever thought of for myself. And when I just look at that, I'm like, that's incredible. Like that's, that's amazing that people do this. And whether you have children or not, or whether that's not your situation, like there are other things that will be happening in your life where, you know, you'll kind of stop and think like, I couldn't have done this if I was working something else or if I was doing something else. Um, And it's hard to remember those things sometimes, especially when you're getting into those 
lulls of business or when things aren't going well or when a client fires you or you have to client, you know, fire a client or something like that. Um, it's so easy to kind of focus on those negative things. But I think sometimes we just have to take a step back and look at everything and be like, wow, like that's impressive. <laughs> like I did that. Okay. Pat myself on the back. <laughs> And I think that's such an important point too, because when you're your own boss, you don't have a boss that's kind of cheering you on or giving you the promotion or giving you the praise. So I think so many of us, myself included, have either compared ourselves or not really taken the time to stop and celebrate even like the seemingly small things, you know, like having flexibility in your schedule or being able to go out for two hours for lunch in the middle of your day, like things that you wouldn't be able to do if you were working a corporate job. And so it isn't all about the sales. Like you want your basic needs covered. You want to feel comfortable as much as you can, right? But what I have begun to realize is that in the high moments when business is really good, sales are really good, life is also really busy. So I don't have Mm -hmm. as much time for and energy for like all the beautiful things outside of work, you know? So yes, sales are great, but like life is kind of falling to the wayside when business slows down as it does, like ebbs and flows, sales aren't as high, business is slower. I have so much more time and so much more energy for the things that light me up in my life. And so I used to like have this pushback anytime business got slow, you know, like that instant fear response, but now I kind of let it in and enjoy it. Like I know business is going to come back up. This is just a lull. Like all of us have seasons in business. Um, that things are just slower dependent upon the service that we offer. And so now I just take that time as like a vacation <laughs> almost, you know? So- yeah, this is the time to catch up on all the things that I've been thinking about wanting to do or, you know, I mean, yeah. and it's small things It's like getting SOPs in order that it's like, I haven't had, I don't know, the last time I had time to do that is, but now I have this time to do that or organizing my office, like little things that get thrown to the wayside um, that you get to kind of come back to and say, okay, I can do this now because things are kind of slow and that's good. And they'll come back. Um, And I definitely think, you know, you're talking about that kind of three-year hump, you know, it it takes a couple years to see that and your ebbs and flows could change in your business. So, you know, we have some seasons that are pretty consistent, but that also changes year to year. And so it's easy to be like, well, last year at this time, things were great. Mm-hmm. this shouldn't be a lull right now. And it's like, that's okay. You know, we also, <laughs> you also have to think about the world and like the economy and people, you know, people get a little scared to spend some money when you start hearing negative things about the economy. And so, you know, it's not always about you. It has nothing to do with what you're offering or what you're doing, but whether, you know, just the whole, everything that's going on and what's going on in their lives um, and their business and things like that. And so it's not it's not an indication of you. Um, and that's, I think, a really hard thing to switch your mind at. Definitely. I mean, that was was and still has been one of the most difficult parts for me of owning a business of like not taking everything personally because I, I'm on work, like unraveling this, but have historically always been a people pleaser. And so anytime business was slower or anytime like a client had feedback or a team member had feedback, my instant response, because like I'm anxiously attached, like that's just how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, was like, oh my gosh, like what can I do? How can I fix this? Like taking everything so personally as if it was like something that I definitely did. And there is, there is a sense of accountability that you have to have as a business owner, but a lot of times in business, 
it's not necessarily things that you're doing wrong, especially if business is slow, right? Right. Things happening in the economy, things happening in the world, but even like things that come up with team members or things that come up with clients, a lot of times it's like people's own shit that they need to work out through like an interaction with you, right? So that's been one of my biggest learnings for sure of like, okay, I can't take everything personally. I cannot be a people pleaser or I will absolutely hate myself and hate my business. (laughs) And like everything will be okay at the end of the day. You know, Um, I think that's just been so important to learn over the past few years. Absolutely. I completely agree. And so kind of pivoting a little bit, just because I'm so curious to hear, I was saying before we started recording that I saw that your dad was in the Marine Corps for Mm -hmm. pretty much your whole life and you've traveled around (laughs) a lot as a result. So can you talk about that experience? Yeah. So I feel like um, I was very fortunate to have such a culture experience. My dad immigrated from Lebanon when he was 18. He's pretty much grown up in America, but I have that side where he's the only person from my family that moved to the States. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, he was active duty from the moment I was born until he retired the year I went to college. So most of my life was that um, we were pretty fortunate. What my dad did was pretty specified. So he had to be, we had to be in a large water, large bodies of water. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were always on beaches, which was great. But I'm from Jacksonville, North Carolina, which, you know, anything about the Marine Corps is the second largest Marine Corps base in the entire world. Um, So it's, it's quite a big hub. Um, And then from there, we spent some time in Georgia and I actually spent most of my time growing up in Okinawa, Japan. Um, and we only came back to the States, um, when I was 16, because it's really hard to get into college from there. Um, and so I was like, I'll just come back, finish out high school here, apply to college. I won't have to be answering the question of like, why was I in school in Japan? (laughs) Um, and like how those things translate in terms of curriculum and whatnot. Um, but it was just such an interesting life. I I joke that anytime I meet a military kid, like I know immediately because we're just a very, we're a very different breed of people. Um, you know, you're, I grew up, I was born, Desert Storm was going on. We've had the Iraqi war, the Afghanistan war. So I grew up with, you know, people's parents going to war, not coming home, siblings, yeah. going to war, you know, so you're forced to grow up a lot earlier Um, I didn't grow up in a family where like we sat down at five o'clock and had dinner every day. Like that just was not, that wasn't life for us. Um, so it was a very, you learn to be very adaptive, very young and very quickly. Um, and to kind of see the world a little differently, um, and not just as what's happening in your, your country or your place. Um, and I'm so fortunate for that. I don't think I appreciated, I, I know I didn't appreciate um, my childhood as much as I did until I, you know, moved back to the States, went to college and it was like, wow, like some of y'all have never even left the state. Like this is wild. You might have passed since I was 10, you know? Um, and so it was such an interesting lifestyle. Um, I feel like Marine Corps kids are also very, we're, we're like the, <laughs> we're like the crazy ones, you know, like question authority and like rebel against everything. Um, which is funny because, you know, growing up in my household, it was not that way. And it was, rules had to be followed and my room always had to be clean. I'm like, no one's even seen my room. Why does it matter? Like it has to be clean. It doesn't matter. Um, that might be the Lebanese side too, but it's definitely a lot from the Marine Corps. Um, so yeah, it was very interesting. I still feel a very 
like strong connection to that, even though um, my dad's retired. Both my parents still work on base. Um, but I mean, yeah, he's not been active duty since 2008, 2009. Um, but I still feel like that has such just such a strong like influence on who I am, like how I was raised and my personality and my beliefs and things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do feel very fortunate for it now. I did not appreciate it when I was younger <laughs> at all. I mean, that's always the case, right? Especially when you're younger, like you look back five, 10 years later, as you're like, why didn't I take advantage or like really appreciate it in the moment? But so to go back when you were in Japan, were you living on base or were you guys allowed to live off base? Both. So we lived off base for the first year that we were there until we could get housing. Um, and okay. then once we got housing, we moved on base just because it's a lot easier. Um, yeah. So I did both. So there was a time, you know, in fifth grade, I lived in a neighborhood where there wasn't a single other American child. I didn't know anybody. I mean, I had friends. And then the other kind of weird thing about it is like in a place like Okinawa, it's very small. So there's I mean, it's such a tiny island. There's eight or nine bases, which is a, a lot. Um, but there's only two middle schools and only two high schools. And it's based on like what branch your family's in. So, you wow. know, I went to elementary school 35 minutes from where I lived. I ended up going to middle school even further from that, high school even further from that. Um, and so I didn't, you know, I was like in elementary school with like my little base. And then I went mm -hmm. to middle and it was like all of these bases and I was like who are you people um so I never had that like growing up it's so funny I have a few friends now that like were friends of mine in Okinawa that live in the same area and every time I see them I'm like oh my god it's like so weird to me because you know, my <laughs> husband like has known the same people since he was like born and like you know and there's nothing wrong with that I always really envied that um but it's so interesting having the opposite of where like my friends came and go and came and went in my life very frequently it was, you know, as soon as you got close with someone, they were moving to another place and having to, um, I learned to keep in touch very young and value those friendships and those relationships that I had because you never knew, A, when you were going to see the person again, if you were going to see the person again, um, or B, yeah. when you would find someone like that. So it was, it was very unique. Um, and there wasn't this just like, oh, I'm going to see this person forever because they're not leaving, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's so almost, oh sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's almost like you were forced to learn the rule or the practice of non-attachment at such a young age, where yes. most of us aren't learning in that until we're older. Yes, oh, yeah, yes. that's so interesting. I've never thought about it that way, but that's very true. And I guess in some way, I probably apply that a lot to my business. Of things are gonna come and go. It's okay. Like <laughs> we will meet a new best friend. <laughs> That's so, and so when you were in school, you said it was a bunch of other bases. Was it like U.S. branches of military or other countries as well? And they were all integrating together in these schools. Um, so it was mostly U.S., but there are a lot of contractors there. So we would have not everyone was military. Um, so, you know, there's um, like my mom now because she teaches on base, like she's like the main sponsor. So there were people there that they were just teachers. Um, or they just like contracted for a specific job and were not in the military. Um, so there was a lot of that, but it was mostly um, other military people. But it was so, I, I sometimes joke that I had like reverse culture shock when I moved back to America because <laughs> being where we were and just the nature of the military, I mean, you're stationed in so many different places. It's so much easier to meet someone in another country. I mean, so I had friends from 
like name a country. And I knew someone from there that was, you know, had that ethnicity in them. Um, And then I came back to America and it was like black, white, Hispanic, and Asian. And I was like, whoa, there's so much more. And it was just, it was so, it was very much of an adjustment for me. Um, And just that like, you know, I've learned to appreciate diversity so much more because I grew up with that being just a given. And then when it wasn't, it was like, oh, wow, like we have to really seek this out. Um, And so that was, that was such a fun part of it is that, I mean, just, I learned, like I knew about the Philippines. I could tell you about every Filipino food. From the time yeah. I was a child, I'm like there's some. I mean, people have never even had Filipino food. And I'm like, oh my god, how have you lived? Like, this is amazing. So, and, and so now as an adult, have you still enjoyed to travel, or have you had the reverse effect of like I've traveled so much as a kid, now I want to settle down? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, this at, COVID was very hard for us. Uh, that's the longest I've been. We just went out of the country. This past April, this is the longest I've been in America since I was 10. Like we leave the country every year. Um, I think it's so important. I have my own criticisms of our country and that's a totally different political conversation for another day. But I think it's so important to travel other places and see um, just how different it is from from a positive and negative standpoint. I mean, I definitely think it gives you an appreciation for um, where we live, but it also gives you that mindset of like, oh, things could be different. Like other countries do this differently. And um, yeah. it's so interesting. No, I, we are travel addicts. Like we've, we already have a trip planned for like once the baby comes, we're not taking the baby with us, but like we already have trips planned. Um, so yeah, it was very, when COVID happened, it was very hard. I was like, I've got to leave. Like I've got to get out. I've got to go somewhere. I've got to travel. I need to get yeah. on a plane. Yeah. yeah. I felt the same exact way because right before COVID, I was in Costa Rica for a month or so. And then I came back and literally a couple weeks later, COVID happened. And I had all these other trips already planned um, and COVID happened. And all of a sudden I was like back at my parents' house with both of my siblings and both my parents. I was like, oh, because I was living in uh, Philadelphia at the time. So I definitely needed to get out of the city. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this is not the life that I <laughs> I'm and like a lot of people went through that too, right? Um, that experience of, okay, this was the big expanse of life that I was like living beforehand. And now we're all like sheltered in place and living a very different lifestyle. And yeah. I know that a lot of other people I've talked to were definitely craving those moments of travel too. Um, so now it's been so nice to get back out and see the world again. Yeah. I am curious, we don't have to dive into the whole like political conversation, but I'm curious to hear a little bit about some of the different like cultural practices and some of the different uh, things that you've seen in other countries that you've really appreciated about the way that they either run their government or the way that they live yeah. as a society or a culture that you wish could be better integrated here in the States. Um, I think healthcare is such a big one. So my best friend lives in Berlin um, and it's like, they joked, you know, they were planning to move back to the States um, before COVID and then COVID happened and they were like, we are not leaving here. Um, so like, no. down with things, like she had a, you know, um, a tumor and it was benign, thankfully, but on her ovaries that like, if she had lived in America, I mean, they wouldn't have started doing that scan until she was 40. You know, we're wow. in our thirties. Like they would have never found that. Um, we're like where she is, that's just routine. Like, and it's not, you're not getting charged more for it. Um, so I think the healthcare is definitely a big piece where I've seen 
we have a lot of my my dad's side too lives in Germany, um, and they just have. I mean, yes, you pay more in taxes, but you have so much taken care of, and you know this idea that you don't have to. You don't have to decide between healthcare and like your bills and just like living, yeah. there, you know, um, and how many people, like when you think about how many people struggle with that in the States and especially after COVID, I mean, we really saw that of, I mean, God, if you had been hospitalized and were sick and to that extreme of like, now you're leaving and having to deal with the massive debt of it all. Um, and that's, yeah. I've learned, I've experienced that a lot being pregnant too, you know, I mean, we're very fortunate that uh, we can afford good healthcare, but like, my God, I could not imagine, I couldn't imagine doing this if we didn't have that. And so many people do. Yeah. I mean, that is yeah. like, that's not, that's not an anomaly. I mean, so many people, single parents, um, you know, not in a job where you feel secure and, and things like that. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being pregnant in a situation like that, where, you know, I didn't have to worry about like, can we pay this bill? Um, yeah. Or, is that going to be the deciding factor of whether I go into the doctor to like have something checked that I'm concerned about? You know, like it's not a question for yes. me. Just go because I know that we can pay for it. Right. But like, yeah, so many people can't, and that shouldn't be a hindrance, um, you know, of you taking care of yourself. Like it's, yeah. it's so sad how many people have to make that decision and how it shouldn't be that way. So I feel like healthcare is probably one of the biggest ways. I mean, and even it's so interesting. You know, my dad's from Lebanon and there, there are their own problems there, and there's corruption in the government and stuff like that. But I mean, like, healthcare is like it's not a question. You go, you just go to the doctor and you get seen, and it's yeah, that's it. Like, <laughs> you have a problem, they help you, and if not, they send you on your way, or they'll run yeah. more tests to find out if something else is going on. Um, so I think that that's probably the biggest thing. You know, I think in terms of diversity, when we look at some of these other countries, it's very easy to say like, well, Norway's great. Well, Norway's majority white. Like there's not, you don't have uh, some of the diversity, some of the issues that come from diversity that we see here in America, right? Like mm -hmm. they, there's, they don't, they're not mingling with other people for, for racism to be a problem, right? Like it just, <laughs> and it is, it, yeah. it is, but like th there's not enough people there for that to like seem like a problem. Um, yeah. So things like that, I think, are interesting. But like healthcare is the one area where I'm just like, oh, we are really, really yeah, <laughs> it's so sad. Like everyone, it I shouldn't say everyone, but depending upon your healthcare insurance, you're one health crisis away from your whole life crumbling apart. Yeah, yeah we talk about homelessness. It's the same thing. You know, it's so sad how many people just, you know, one bad thing happened and that's it. They're evicted. They don't have a home anymore. They have no way to get ahead. Um, and that's, you know, there's, 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 there's no way it's very hard to get ahead once you've hit that low point and everyone's going to have that at some point. It's just, some of us are a little bit more fortunate and more privileged to be able to handle that than other people are, you know? Um, and you see that a lot yeah. with the military. It's very interesting. Um, you know, growing up so pro-military and everything. And it's like, well, yeah, but then the second that you leave, like that's it. And, and the mindset of that, like being in the military is very much like a socialist. And I don't say that from a negative standpoint. I think we think of that sometimes very negatively, but you know, you were, you, you agree to be in the military, your healthcare is mm -hmm. taken care of law. If you need a lawyer for anything, it's taken care of your housing is taken care of. I mean, all of your basic necessities are given to you by being in the military. Um, yeah which is a socialist economy, <laughs> socialist government. I'm <laughs> always like, that's so bad. I'm like, well, no, but like 
their things are taking like they don't question going I, to the doctor and they just go to the doctor <laughs> i love that you bring that up so my fiance he's in the coast guard active duty still and so i see that all the time and there are definitely and i'm sure you could attest this a lot of cons that come with being in the military absolutely but there are a lot of really wonderful perks of being in the military too mm -hmm. i will say this he has never, we have never once felt insecure in our living situation because everything is taken care of for him. You know, like even right now he's at the dentist and he's getting this, what would be tens of thousands of dollars procedure done for his teeth mm -hmm. and the military covers it all without any question. Whereas I, a civilian would be paying thousands of dollars out of my mm -hmm. pocket. And so I do think that there is something so wonderful about that. Um, yes to just have all of your basic needs yeah. met, right? Like his food, his housing, his medical care, all of that will always, while yep. he's active duty, be covered. Yep. And it, it just allows you to find more joy because you're not constantly running from like the Grim Reaper, right? Like following behind you, like there's one thing and your like whole life is going to crumble apart. It's just none of us should have to live in that way. Absolutely. Um, I was just watching I think it was a TikTok I forget what European country it was but basically it was this American journalist and he was going around and interviewing a bunch of different uh people in whatever European city this was and he was like okay so can you tell me how much an ambulance in the United States would cost and then everyone was like you have to pay for that and he was like yeah and so they were guessing they're like 20 bucks 40 bucks <laughs> and then same thing with um like childbirth like can you guess how much oh childbirth does it cost and same thing they're like uh free <laughs> and so the that it changes it's not the same for everybody you know like nope. it, it's it changes <laughs> and you don't know until you get those bills when we've gotten bills that we're like what was that for what are we like you know it's crazy And now a brief break to hear from one of our sponsors. The Her Life, Her Way podcast is sponsored by Her, a women-owned and operated virtual assistant and online business management agency that provides female-identifying founders and leaders from around the globe with creative and technical support. With over 4,500 log client hours and over 130 clients served in just three years, our highly skilled and trained team has been able to provide high quality, reliable, and strategic support that has helped our clients to create sustainable growth in their businesses while also taking some much needed time off. As shown by her 90% client retention rate, her customers love, trust, and are empowered in their work with our beloved team members. Our mission at HER is to empower and enable more female founders to do more of what they love with the people they love while leaving a lasting impact on the communities that matter most to them. Some of the services our virtual assistants provide include email marketing, inbox and calendar management, course design and management, podcast management, blog writing, Instagram management, and website management. While our highly skilled online business managers support our clients with systems and processes management, launch strategy and implementation, client experience management, project management, and team management. If any of these services sound like they would be helpful to you and your business, we would love to connect with you to learn more about you and your own specific needs. 
feel free to go to our show notes to learn more about her and the work that we do as an agency. We would absolutely love to support you and the amazing work that you are doing within your community. So once again, go to the link in the show notes to learn more about our agency and connect directly with me, Maddie, the founder of Her, to book your own discovery call to talk about next steps and getting you the support that you need and you deserve. So now back to the show. Yeah, it was just so interesting to watch. I mean, with all this in mind, have you and your husband ever considered moving abroad or? So my husband has, they have a family business here, which is why we live where we live. Um, So I would love to. (laughs) (laughs) But unless something ever goes drastically wrong with their their business, we're going to be here. Um, So that's why we've made traveling such a big priority because we know that, you know, I'm not going to get to raise my kids abroad like I got to do um, and and teach them those experiences. But if we can get them out and get them to see other places and know that those are options for them too. I mean, not that I want my children living, you know, far away, but like I do, I want them to go out and do those things. Um, You know, I never studied abroad because I lived abroad, but like those experiences and getting to just go other places. And I think it's important to, to go to different levels of countries, right? Like if we're just going to London, if you're only going to places that have similar economies, similar um, government structures, it's not as easy to see the contrast of things. Um, When you get to some other places where, you know, that doesn't exist, it is a third world country. Like you just see it as such... And you see how happy those people are. Like, I will never forget going to Cambodia and just being so blown away by, you know, seemingly how little someone had by our standards and just how happy they are because at the end of the day, like, their basic needs are met. They have a roof. They have a way of getting food. um, You know, they have... The, they have its close family structures. Um, there's a, so the social aspect of it, you know, you don't have a lot of loneliness and depression and things like that, mm-hmm. so, you know, mm-hmm. depression of being alone. I'm sure there are other, you know, stressors and things like that, that'll cause that, but it's just so interesting. And it makes you kind of realize like, maybe we do make this a little harder on ourselves than we need to. I mean, I also think it's probably like, cultural context in the terms of like, here in the States, because it's a capitalistic society, right? Like, we tie our worth to production and um, like capital gain, right? (laughs) So like if we are making this much and we are accomplishing this much, that means that we should feel better about ourselves, right? And so if we are achieving anything less than whatever dollar amount Mm -hmm. or whatever like external um, like contributors we're looking at, then we automatically will feel bad about ourselves or like that's what we've been taught since we were little whereas like some of these other countries don't have that same messaging necessarily right and so they've been set up to succeed quote unquote like in a different way absolutely Um, I'm curious so when I went to Costa Rica before I went everyone was like Costa Rica is a third world country it's unsafe blah 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 blah. and I went to Costa Rica and I was like a I've never felt safer in a country ever Mm -hmm. um b these are like the happiest people I've ever met in my entire life Mm -hmm. and the kindest people I've ever met in my entire life so with all of your travel abroad have you kind of experienced that same pushback from people in the states too 
Yes. I mean, it's so funny. I have this conversation with my husband all the time about Lebanon. Like he's never been and I wanted to go so bad. And he's like, it's not good there right now. I'm like, and it's not great in certain areas in Chicago and Detroit. You don't go like, <laughs> I'm not going. Like yeah. there, there are everywhere in the world has crime. Mm-hmm. Everywhere in the, everywhere has, there's always going to be a bad person somewhere, yeah. you know? Um, but you know, generally we you don't go to those areas. Um, and if you are in an area, you know, being, being vigilant, like I'll never forget the first time I got pickpocketed in Spain. And I was like, well, I kind of brought that one onto myself. Like I just had my wallet open, you know, in the middle of a bar and like, but also like that same stuff happens here in America all the time. Yeah, <laughs> People I mean- break into cars all the time and steal things. Like it's not, I think we, some, we like to be like, they're different. It's not yeah. as good there. And in reality, like you're only seeing in the small negative thing that someone might, you know, show, um, because we know that that sells more ratings wise than talking about how beautiful and wonderful somewhere is. Right. Like you tell someone it's bad and you're like, Oh, maybe I want to go. Like I'm, I'm interested now, but yeah, yeah. I, I, and it's, you know, even we were just in, um, Puerto Rico and Dominica and Dominica's, a arguably third world country. Um, and I just remember people being like, is it safe? And I was like, have you, do you know anything about the country? Like, have you, have you looked it up? Like, it is. It's very safe. Like I'm sure yeah. there are places that maybe you don't go, but like that's that way everywhere. Like it, it's just always going to be that way. No, no place is going to have zero crime, zero uh, bad people. Like that's just, it's not possible. So yeah, it is. And it always makes me so mad. And when someone says that, I'm like, you've not, you've never left the States, have you? Like you've, or you've been to like a resort somewhere. Like, and others say, I love a good resort. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, like the, I, I've been to Dominican Republic one time, probably wouldn't go back. I'm like, we stayed in a resort there. I couldn't tell you anything about the culture or the place or, you know, really anything to that extent, because we only stay in that one place. So if I did that, and that was the only way I traveled, then it would be very easy to say, to hear someone say, well, oh my God, it's such a dangerous, horrible place. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. no, it's really not. But you know, if you only, if you only stay in your little bubble, then it's very easy to think that and to be of that belief. Absolutely. And I mean, like, I don't blame people either, because unless you've had the experience to travel and really like steep yourself in it, it's so easy to believe that because again, like you said, like, that's what you see in the media. So like, why wouldn't you believe that? But it makes me so sad, too, because I think it keeps a lot of people from wanting to actually explore and actually like participate in the culture of wherever they're going, because um, they've been told that it's unsafe to do so when actuality or in reality that's where you're able to actually learn the most and grow the most and (laughs) experience the most is like when you're actually participating in the culture of the place in which you are traveling to um but I, I always say the same thing to like friends and family and things like that that push back against different places that I go to I'm like yeah. well Philadelphia I mean look at like the shootings that they have in Philly every single day I <laughs> Bet you if you look at the rates in Nosara, Costa Rica, where I was at, you would definitely see yeah. that Philadelphia is way more unsafe Absolutely. than this in Costa Rica. <laughs> so yeah, it's I wouldn't go to Florida right now, but like I'm not gonna tell. Yeah, no. As well that it's like, you know. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think, you know, it's hard. I know traveling can be overwhelming to people. 
Um, you know, it's kind of foreign to conceptualize how to work your way through a place you don't know anything about. Um, so I think it turns off some people like the, the effort that you have to put in to really get that kind of experience. Um, I think sometimes turns people off and that's why they just end up at a resort somewhere or they just don't go. They're like, I would just, yeah. I'll just stay here because it's easier. Um, and that's a yeah, good- you miss out on so much of the reward from it. Definitely. I think that's a good place to pivot into, actually. I mean, you're very well-traveled. So do you have some tips to share with folks who maybe haven't traveled as much to make their travel experience better or easier or more comfortable? Yeah. I mean, the research is the most important. We always do. We're big Lonely Planet people. um, So we always try to get the Lonely Planet books when we're like thinking about somewhere, um, mostly because they feel like they do a good job of including like very um, well-known things, but then also like very off the beaten path things. Um, They also have in there like three, four day itineraries all the way up to two week itineraries. So depending on how long that trip is that you want to take, um, you know, there's kind of a way to have it already planned out where you can, it kind of just tells you what to do to go see the big sites and to do the major things, um, which I think makes it a lot easier. But I mean, really it's just going with an open mind too. that, you know, when you're there, you know, walking around and getting to see how people interact, what restaurants they're going to, what things are they doing, um, has always been like really beneficial to us. And we've found some of the most amazing places that way of just like, oh, let's just wander in here and see. Uh, I think you have yeah. to be open-minded. I mean, you definitely have to be cognizant of, and I think especially as like a female traveling, you know, I've traveled a lot alone mm-hmm. without my husband. I've still, I feel safer when he's with me in that sense. But like, I mean, I've done so much traveling without him. I'm like, I don't care. It's fine if you're not with me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you know, um, so just being cognizant of, you know, your surroundings and what you're doing. But that's the case anywhere. I would say anybody, you know, to be yeah. consciously aware of who's around you and who's been following you for a little bit and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely doing the research. These days with Instagram too, I mean, like we have found so many amazing uh, like boutique hotels and things like that that have just been such an incredible experience all of Instagram. And it sounds, you know, kind of gets back to that marketing of like, it really is important to be on those places because the more someone can see something, the more comfortable they're going to feel with it, right? Like absolutely it's hard when you're going to a place and you don't know what the hotel looks like, what the surroundings look like, you know, what kind of area you're going into. It can seem a bit like foreign and overwhelming. Um, but the more that you, you know, see those places, then you're like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going into. This this is what I expected. Um, so, yeah, doing the research beforehand, look up places as much as you can um, and just be open-minded. It really, you know, I think when people go in expecting a certain thing, you can be disappointed easily. And some of our best trips have just been where we've just kind of gone and just gone with the flow. You know, we're here. Whatever we do or we don't do, like, it's fine. Yeah. I totally agree. Two other things I would add to that kind of going into the research portion of it is like researching like the cultural norms of that place. Like even yes. small things like do you tip or don't tip? How much yes. do you tip? Or like, I don't know, like, do I have to have my shoulders covered in like this specific area? Things like what kind of clothes do I wear so I don't stick out like a sore thumb? Like things yeah, like there are, that. There are things are like, very, people are like you're an American because you're wearing ripped jeans and you're like, Never thought of that. Never thought of that at all. And that can make you a target in some places. Um, I think, you know, we, in America, we see a lot of 
um, people without housing where, and, and you don't, you don't really interact with it much, right? Like you just kind of keep going and that's it. And a lot of places like that's not the norm and they will interact with you. And some people can be very like taken aback by that. But like, it's not weird to have someone ask you for money. It's not weird, um, you know, to, to interact more with people that aren't in the same situations. The tipping is a very, very good point. I learned that when we lived in Japan, it's, it's rude to tip there. Um, like mm-hmm. if you give someone a tip, it's like, you need to be better. You need to take this lady better. Um, whereas yeah. like, and I'm like a chronic over tipper. Like, I'm like, oh my God, the thought of not tipping someone like makes me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go into like, like, we are not tipping at 25%. I am upset. Like we got to let them know that's great. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Not like changing that mindset of that. Like that's because we don't pay our people enough. <laughs> and Absolutely. they have a little on the tips. Whereas like in a lot of other places, wages are just wages and you get the same, you're paid the same if you work at a restaurant versus if you work in a, office somewhere, you know? Um, and so the tip is not, you're not, they don't need that for their livelihood because they're paid well. And they're, uh, you know, they're other, they're, they have insurance from their employer and stuff like that, even if they just work a part-time job. Um, yeah. so learning those cultural norms is very, very important. Definitely. And I think like the last thing on top of that is like trying to learn the basics of the language. Like I've always thought it to be so abrasive, like when American or like anyone, like I saw this all the time in Costa Rica, like people walking into a store, not even knowing like how to say hi, bye, thank you, please. Like those are the very, very basic things that anyone could take 10 minutes to learn, no matter where you're at. That like, I think is so important. Like I know when people come and visit here in the States, like I used to uh, work at this restaurant in New Jersey and every summer, a bunch of folks from Montreal will come down and visit. And so they all speak French, but no one would take a second to even like learn or say like, hi, (laughs) you know, or bye or please or thank you in English, which like always bothered me because it takes like five, 10 minutes. And I always try to practice the same thing when I go other places um, because I just think it's a common decency to show respect that you are at least like putting some effort forward. Yes. And what I have found is that um, people are always more appreciative of that. Like no one's going to be annoyed that you didn't pronounce something right or you didn't say it right. They're going to, they're going to be happy that you tried. Like that's so kind of you. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, I agree. Learning just like, especially like thank you like that one's such an easy one to just like know know what you're saying you know and um I think it shows that you cared that you didn't just like come to this place and expect uh and I think that's like one of the other things is like being English it's like you know I I don't get to expect that anyone knows English no and so I you know like it's not your job to be able to like cater to me and speak to me. It's my job to be able to do that too if I'm coming to your country. And that honestly, that was something I learned so early on in Japan is like, you know, yeah, I lived on bases. Everyone around me spoke English, but like knowing just basic little things when we went out in town of like how to order a meal or how to ask for something at a store instead of expecting that they know English to be able to help me, you know? I mean, it's 
Yeah. Like such a for you know, when you think about it that way, you're like, oh yeah, that does not make sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we shouldn't be placing the burden on the people of the country that we are traveling I mean, to. As yeah, like, it's not their job. They're like, people from everywhere come here. I don't get, I have to know everything. Like, that's exactly. like, I need someone in America to know how to speak Spanish, French, you know, all these German, all these different languages to appease someone else coming in. And like, that's impossible. Kudos to you if you can speak that many languages and you know that much. <laughs> like, that's kind yeah. of hard. And so, yeah, it, it, if you're going to one place, it's very easy to just learn those few basic greetings, you know, words that you know you use a lot. If you know you're going to be out buying food at a grocery store, like how to ask for something. I mean, you know, it's not like people, I don't know, and no one's ever going to be rude to you. I've, I've found that <laughs> you will get more offended if you just try and speak English to them. And they're like, I, why would I know what you're saying to me? <laughs> like, why would I know that? <laughs> like, yeah. And I mean, I've been places where I try to speak the language and they can tell from my pronunciation and the way that I look and all the things, but like, I'm not from there. So they'll like speak English back, but right. like not in a sassy way, just like to help yeah. me out that they know I'm struck, but like that you can always tell that they appreciate it because they have a smile on their face. And I wasn't like the rude American girl coming in and like, Hi, can I please have? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Oh, um, like being the like stereotypical American. Like, I never want to be that. <laughs> you know, as I feel like so many countries do have this kind of like negative view. We're loud, we're rude, you know, we're just kind of this out there culture. Um, and so I've always yeah. been like very aware of that. And and I'm a very loud person. And so I'm always like you know, you just kind of have to be aware of culturally different things. Like that's not, and there are some countries where that's fine. In Portugal, you can be as loud as you want. Everyone's having a big party. It's fine. Like they're all, they're all on their third bottle of wine. Like you're okay. (laughs) Um, But like in some places it's not that way. And so being able to adjust and be adaptable um, to your surroundings, I think is very important too, of knowing like, okay, this isn't, that's not how this culture is. And that's viewed rudely, you know? Um, and I've always kind of seen it as like, I'm a representative of America when I'm traveling somewhere else. So the way that I act, you know, I could be the only American that they've encountered in a year or in general. And like, do I want to be the person that gives them a bad taste about our country? And, you know, especially because a lot of people outside of America have a lot of opinions about America. Um, yeah. Like we don't realize how much other countries pay attention to our politics and just what's going on in our country because it affects so many other countries. Um, And so, you know, that can either be good or bad. Some people love it and some people don't. Um, I feel like I learned that a lot with some of our last presidential elections. You know, it was kind of like the first question everyone asked you and it was like, oh my God, I don't want to talk about this. (laughs) I don't want to talk about the president either. So we can just (laughs) be great. It's funny you bring that up because when I went to Montreal, which was what, 2017, 2018, somewhere around that time frame. Um, and again, the Canadian culture isn't like vastly different from America. Like we share the same continent, um, but there are different, great differences. Um, and I remember traveling to Montreal and talk, I was in this one bar with a few of my friends and we were talking to some of the local people there. And automatically, and I don't think people realize this either, even if I, so I am a more liberal individual. I have very unique perspectives Mm -hmm. that at the time were very different than the perspectives of 
our president, mm-hmm. Donald Trump at the time. Um, but when you travel to another country, despite me not agreeing with our president, Everyone. you automatically... Everyone automatically assumes that you do. So when you say that you are a representative of the United States, like automatically people are going to think you're a representative of whoever the president is at the time, Mm -hmm. unless you say otherwise. And so I think that's important to keep in mind is that like whatever is going on in the country as a whole at that point in time, when you travel other places, people think that that is something that you buy into, you know? Um, So that's why. I think having conversations with people in other countries or from different cultures is just so important um, to break down those barriers across like all different cultures, right? Just like if someone is coming and traveling from, let's say, I don't know, let's, I keep saying Costa Rica, but like, like, let's say they're coming from Costa Rica. I'm not going to automatically assume that everything that's going on in uh, Costa Rica and their government is something that they believe in. So having those conversations is just so important. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I, as someone that traveled before Trump's presidency and after, it, I think that was definitely that was definitely a change. I'd never mm-hmm. been I'd never been asked so many times my thoughts, and it was like the first day, like, "Oh, you're American. What about Trump?" And you're like, "Oh my God, can we not, please?" <laughs> <laughs> we already have to see it every day at home, and I'm the same way. I mean, I was um, I was raised very conservatively, and I think that's that tends to be the case in the military. I mean, there's just a lot more. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And that's not to say there are not, you know, crazy liberals in the military, but like it tends to be a bit more conservative. Yeah. Um, I was raised kind of with some of that thinking. And I remember when I first kind of like got out into the world and I was like, and so much of it honestly is like, you know, the the kind of a story I like to tell people is like um, police brutality. That Mm. didn't exist growing up for me because you have the military police, but like they're not – like it's completely different. They're not like out arresting people. They're like literally just there if like shit hits the fan. They're pretty much like security guards. Um, yeah. So I th- like the concept of police brutality did not exist to me until I moved back to America. I mean, we left when I was ten, and so I never saw that. Like I never experienced it. I never saw someone go through that. Um, it, it just didn't exist to me. And so you know, when I moved back to the states, and that was you know really becoming. I mean, it's always been such a topic. Uh, but I remember the first time I was hearing it being like, that's wild. Like that doesn't happen. That's crazy. <laughs> and then you start to learn, you're like, oh no, I just grew up very differently. <laughs> like that just, yeah. and everyone is at the same income. You know, there weren't the same uh, economic differences. You didn't have people. I didn't go to school with people who were worried about how they were going to have dinner that night. Yeah. It just didn't exist in my world. Um, yeah. So I always remember that everyone's experiences are valid um, it doesn't mean that they're – everyone's experiences are valid. And I try to remember that when I'm talking with people in different – that have different opinions than me um, and that, you know, it's not necessarily that they're a bad person unless they're actively a bad person. Like some people are just really shitty people and <laughs> just hateful, mean people like in general. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I try to tell myself that like, you know, their experiences have just been different than mine. And they just haven't seen, like, we need to have a conversation to get, you know, to the point where we kind of, again, where you can say that might not have been my experience, but I understand and I sympathize. Um, So, yeah. yeah, And I I was listening to a podcast last night um, and 
the uh, guest on the show was talking. She does like a lot of inner child teachings and work and okay. things like that. And she was talking about this in regards to relationships, how like a lot of us are just playing out our childhood experiences yeah. in our like innermost relationships. But that's true no matter what, like kind of like what you were just saying, right? During these formative years of your childhood, you had a very different experience than some of your peers of the same age here in the States, right? And so it makes sense that you had certain beliefs or like certain ways that you were interacting in the world because that's how you were raised. And a lot of people continue to do that. Um, Now, I will say that I think as folks get older, you start to question how you were raised and form your own beliefs and things like that. But I have also tried to remind myself when getting into discussions with people who have different beliefs or different value systems that we're all just acting out like our inner childhood wounds, you know? And so I think that allows you to have more compassion when you're going into these conversations, when you're just like literally envisioning the person as their seven-year-old self. Um, Because at the end of the day, like you can't, you didn't have a say in how you were raised, but you now have a say in how you act as an adult in the world. So it's balancing both, right? Holding space. It's not anyone's, it's not my fault that I'm white at all. It's no, and it's not anyone's fault that they're white or black or any other uh, ethnicity or color or whatnot. Um, but it is my responsibility to learn how that affects my life, right? Like when well, I like, think about being pulled over by police, when I think about these kind of things, like, and I think it's 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 more, you know, it's all about listening. It, if someone comes to me and says this was my experience, I can't tell them they were wrong. Yep. Like it's, it's no. not your experience. That was your experience and you're right. And when so many people tell you that that was a, their experience, then you start to hopefully realize that maybe we have a problem. Um, but <laughs> I mean, it, it goes that way on both sides. You know, I mean, someone that I disagree with, if they tell me their experience, again, your experience isn't wrong. The way you perceived it or the way that that might um, affect your life as you go forward might not be how I agree with or what I think is right, but your experience wasn't wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it's so, it's so important. And I have to remind myself this because I get very heated in um, political conversation. <laughs> so I have to, I have to remind myself this a lot. I'm like, you are a shitty person because you think that. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, they just, that's, They've not been in those situations before. They've not seen that before. And again, that's not their fault. Um, it, it, it is your fault if you're not listening or you're, you know, actively uh, disregarding what someone tells you as their experience. But like, it's not their fault that they've not experienced that. And so you can't expect someone to just automatically understand or agree with something when they've not experienced that. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think we could say that that has been the common thread, funny enough, throughout our whole conversation today from travel to politics to like cultural norms, things like that is like, it all just boils down to how well can you listen? Um, The more that you can enter into new experiences, into new conversations, into new relationships with an open mind, which you were talking about with travel, right? Not trying to lead with your own opinions and your own thoughts and actually leaving space to listen to other people's lived experiences, the better. I mean, I think that's where we find more, or that's where we can find more harmony and balance and peace, right? I don't ever expect now with the way that our country is and politics are for us to all agree during my lifetime. What I can expect is that we are able to better listen to each other Mm -hmm. and find our way to a little bit more harmony. 
you know, I think that is the greater goal. Um, so I, yeah, I just love that how everything like tied together. With your client interactions, it's the same thing too. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've gone into a client meeting thinking I know what the person wants or needs. Mm -hmm. And then just actually like listening to them and having them kind of go through everything and not trying to offer that solution immediately is so important because you might find out like they don't actually need that thing you thought. They need something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, it. I run my business a lot better when I think about that and when I just try to let my clients or a new person that I'm meeting like actually fully tell me like what their problem is and what they're experiencing and not trying to just like throw a solution at them um, and sell them on something because even if I, even if I know it's the right solution for them, right? Like I having all the pieces of the puzzle and being able to hear everything. I mean, you're just able to offer a more tailored product to be able to speak to what they really need. Um, And I think that's so important because I feel like, you know, you never want to just feel like another person and that you're just Mm -hmm. being given something because that's what you give to everybody. Um, It feels so much more rewarding when you're like, wow, you've really taken the time to listen to my problem. And I feel like the solution and the product that I'm getting from you speaks to that and answers those problems. And I feel very confident now going forward. Absolutely. The greatest entrepreneurs. Yeah. The greatest entrepreneurs that I know are entrepreneurs that really have honed in on the skill of listening because from market research to offer development to sales to marketing to order fulfillment, whatever it may be, or service fulfillment, all of those pieces, if you're doing it really well in a way that's sustainable for you and your client, requires excellent listening, right? Businesses that kind of just like come up with ideas on their own and develop their own ways of delivering services just from their own minds don't last very long. Because they're not keeping in mind or they're not listening to what's going on in the market, what's going on within their community, what's going on for their clients. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's such a huge part of business, such a huge part of travel, such a huge part of politics and just like living as a well-balanced human, you know? Yeah. And one of those that I tend to get very excited about things. So I want to like, oh my God, let me, let me tell you this thing. I'm very Mm -hmm. ADHD too. Um, And so, and that's not a, none of that's negative or bad, but you know, being able to realize those things about yourself and how that might come across to someone else. I remember I've been on a call with someone one time, and this was kind of earlier on, and they kind of stopped me. They're like, I can tell you're really excited, but I need you to stop interrupting me. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like I didn't even realize I was doing that. I'm so sorry. And like, and I mean, luckily they could tell it wasn't from like a place of rudeness or anything, but you know, people, people's perception is reality. You can mean something a certain way, you cannot mean something a certain way, but how people perceive that is ultimately what it is. Um, and so it's, you know, it's being able to recognize those things about yourself um, and either preface the conversation. Like I sometimes, if I know I'm going into like a meeting that like I'm super excited about the client, like I will tell them from the get go, like I sometimes get really bad about interrupting. If if I interrupt you at all, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Like I will try to stop. You know, I try to preface them that, and that it's not like I'm not trying to be a rude person. I just like you know, but also knowing that like I need to kind of restrain that and that uh, you know because it seems like you're not listening when you're doing that. In reality, my brain's like if I don't tell you this thing right now, like I'm gonna forget it's gonna be gone. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, so I'm listening so much to what you're saying that I want to like add in here. Um, yeah. But that's not how everyone's brain works, right? Like, and so being able to recognize those things about yourself and be able to take a step back and say, like, okay, we're just gonna 
We're going to listen fully. <laughs> We're going to take it all in. And then we can offer the, <laughs> the commentary to it. Um, but it's hard. It is. And it's hard sometimes to put yourself in other people's shoes. Um, I think we would all be better as a humanity if we could just do that a little bit more. Definitely. I mean, communication is a skill that's refined over time, right? So like, even with you prefacing like, hey, this is a tendency that I have. This is the intention. I understand that this may be the impact, but I want to let you know my intention up front. I'm working on it. If you need to correct me, do like that's a part of healthy communication. And like, not a lot of us are taught healthy communication skills when we're little. Again, coming back to like, where all of us are just like, acting out of like what we were taught as kids or our experiences as kids. So um, yeah, I think that it's just something that we all are learning over time. And a lot of it, like you said, just comes from putting yourself in the other person's shoes and trying your best every day to communicate and listen. Um, And knowing that nothing's going to be done perfectly, like we were saying in the beginning with entrepreneurship, like nothing will be perfect ever. (laughs) So like that's a goal we cannot achieve. That's a goal that shouldn't even be set for ourselves. Um, So just like an incremental change every day is really what we're aiming for. Done is better than best. Getting it done and getting it out there. And I think it depends on maybe what your service and product is. But, you know, for me with websites, like getting the website done, I could spend hours and hours and hours (laughs) like obsessing over little details and little design pieces and things like that, that my clients sometimes don't even see. It's like not even on their radar. They're like, we just want the thing to work. <laughs> like, yeah, we don't care about that cute little design thing that you put in there that you spent three hours on. Um, <laughs> and so being able to just know that like, you know, getting something done, you can always go back and revise it. You can always go back and edit it. Um, but just being able to get it done and say, okay, you know what? We're going to walk away now. Stop with this. We're going to just let it be and we will come back for revisions later. (laughs) Absolutely. I've definitely been trying to practice that too. It's so important. But I am realizing the time and we're getting close to the end of our session here. So I want to give you a chance to share about how people can get in contact with you, a little bit about your services. Um, We'll, of course, link everything in the show notes. And then I have a few rapid fire questions at the end that I've been asking everyone. So you have the mic if you want to share how folks can work with you and get connected. That'd be awesome. So um, we will be starting by taking clients in Q4 since we're going to be coming. Uh, (laughs) But what we are going to be doing in the meantime, um, so our main service offerings are full website. Um, and then we have a VIP day and a half VIP day for um, smaller things. So if you need a landing page um, or you need a new sales page added or we need to do some SEO tune-up. Um, so we have those kind of smaller VIP options for people that don't need a full website, aren't ready for that. Or even if you know you need a full website, but you're like, we can't afford that right now. We need to just get a little bit. We have those options. Um, and then we have our full website build out, which... Is a two-week process from start to finish. Um, so we try to make it as quick and easy for people to get what they need, get back to running their business. Um, we try not to make it where you're having to commit a lot of time and energy and mind space to helping get your website built. We take over all of that. Um, so those those are two main, two, three, I guess, main service offerings. Um, and then, so what we'll be doing in the meantime, leading up to Q4, Normally we have payment plans. Um, there's normally a fee with the payment plan. We're gonna we aren't doing any fees. So you'll basically have from whenever you decide you want to book until your project starts um, to pay the project. 
so that helps some people kind of, you know, if they know they need that later on, they can book that now, pay it out in, until, you know, they're ready. Um, and then by the time their project starts, it's already done and it's just getting the project done. Um, okay. So Nassar Creative on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Nassar Creative and Soul is our website. We have, uh, I'm very blunt and open. We have our prices on there. We have the full package offerings on there. You can download our service guide from there. So we do not try to hide anything or, uh, you know, make you have to schedule an appointment to find out about service offerings or anything like that. Um, but if you have questions, of course, we're happy to you know, answer any of those. So, yeah. Awesome. I love that. And I love that you're coming back to offerings in Q4 because anyone listening, that means that you can pay off your website now. And if you have some Black Friday offerings coming up at the end of the year or like, I know a lot of people in the coaching world do a lot of like New Year's offers, right? This would be perfect for you. So we will link everything in the show notes. Um, And let's see, I'm going to pull up our rapid fire questions. So they start off as like super quick and easy, and then they go into some more expansive questions at the end. Um, The first one is sunrise or sunset. Ooh. (laughs) That's a hard one. I love a good sunset. I do. Um, The earlier, the older I get and the earlier I wake up, I really appreciate the sunrise and just the, I think both are really beautiful because sunrise is like this opportunity for this new day. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just kind of this moment, you know, I find it's when things tend to be very peaceful in the house. Um, so it's just kind of this like nice moment to take in. Then the sunset, it's also like, you know, you're recapping on a beautiful day. Um, you know, something new is coming. So I feel like I'm, I'm like, oh, they're beautiful. They're great. (laughs) They're hard. I always say that I love the energy of a sunrise, but love the aesthetics of the visual of the sunset. Yeah. That's a great, Um, great way to put that. Um, sweet or salty? Oh, sweet. All day. (laughs) <laughs> not learn about crumble cookies until I got pregnant. <laughs> and it has been my greatest demise. Like, greatest <laughs> I, I have such an addiction to sweets. It's so bad. Uh, me too. I have a major sweet tooth. Um, <laughs> mountains or beach? Beach. Mountains uh, are cool, but I'm a beach girl through and through. Yep. Yeah. Um, what is one word you'd use to describe yourself? <sighs> Passionate. <laughs> Um, I think that's kind of the easiest. I'm either like super gung-ho and passionate about something and you will know, or I'm just like, I don't care. And it's not like a negative thing, but I, I'm, yeah, I either do something with passion or with nothing. <laughs> Perfect. Um, what would you want your last meal to be? Okay. That's really hard. Cause I also really love food. Um, and I love like all <laughs> foods. It would probably have to be a Lebanese meal of kibinae, which is like a pate is the best way to explain it. It's like a raw beef pate um, and just like a full Lebanese spread of everything. Amazing. And then if tomorrow were your last day, how would you want to spend it or who would you want to spend it with? Mm. Damn, that's really hard too. Um, in my dream world, I would have like all of my favorite people. So my husband, my best friends, my family, like in – somewhere like in a country somewhere like traveling somewhere together portugal is one of my favorite places um or in lebanon lebanon's also one of my favorite places <laughs> um that's hard 
That's perfect. That's yeah. a great response. And then <laughs> lastly, um, if you could leave the world with one last piece of advice, what would it be? I think summing up everything we've talked about in this, just be be a good listener um, and try to try to live each day better than the last. I mean, we're all humans. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to hurt someone's feelings at some point. Um, being able to own that and being able to acknowledge that and take responsibility for it, um, I think just makes us good people. I mean, no one's going to be perfect, you know? Um, I yeah. think it's hard when people don't take it, it, um, to take responsibility for that and say, oh, it's not my fault I hurt your feelings or it's not my fault I did that. Um, so, you know, owning, owning who you are um, and trying to just be a compassionate listening person is the best we can do. Perfect. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I'm so excited for everyone to tune in. Um, This was such a fun episode to record. So thank you for carving out the time. Of course. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Her Life, Her Way podcast. I am so grateful that you have found your way here and that you carved out some time out of your day and your busy schedule to be a part of this community and tune into these conversations. If you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you could take just a quick moment to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Subscribers and reviews really, really help the growth of our podcast long term. So if you are appreciating the conversations that we're having and you believe in the mission of what we're trying to do here with this podcast, it would go a super long way if you could take again just a moment to subscribe to the pod and leave a review or even share with a friend if you enjoyed this episode in particular. Thank you again for being here and we will see you next time.